When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay, like a guitar and Oh, welcome to uh, episode five of uh, Gale Boys, the podcast that you're currently listening to. If I sound a bit groggy, it's because I had my uh, my flu and my COVID booster. So if this is my uh, last appearance in the podcast, know that the uh, I've been compromised by the death of a deep state. So yep. let, up. let it be known but, that uh, uh, this is part two of our uh, Pasolini special. We're going to do uh, both films uh, last week, but that'll be like an hour and a half. We thought, fuck it, since we're this is two films that we've talked about. Uh, talk to back to back I was pretty much related we thought you know fuck it Jeff do Paul yeah so we'll be talking about um, Abel Ferrara's Pasolini today starring uh, Willem Dafoe and probably one of his most uh, bizarre uh, casting choices I actually think it's not that bizarre because he does look a lot like Pasolini I mean there I mean there there are differences but there are similarities like we'll get into that but uh, before we start, uh, we may as well begin our uh, our update on the world uh, on the world going on right now, which is um, the biggest story right now is America. Uh, the midterms happened, and uh, the Republican Party is, um, I think, talking rebrand at this point. Yeah, this is coming for a while. The uh, evil uh, GOP deep state have been looking to dump. Trump for a while when this is finally that they're uh, uh, their excuse. Like Trump endorsed over two hundred candidates and also them just hate shit. So Oh yeah, no, it's um I think it's uh the, the honeymoon phase well it was long over about a year ago, but now it's officially like and there will be hangers on. There's still a lot of hangers on, but I do I do really wanna see I'm excited to see the uh, the splintering that will affect uh, the GOP as a as a party. Yeah, there's uh, I would say there's two rounds of the GOP now. There's a sort of Meg Cernovich's who were like like on the Trump chain for until very recently, and now they're on Team DeSantis. Uh, all these people, by the way, like assumed that uh, Biden stole the election in 2019, and now they're on the uh, the DeSantis. Uh, Chain, or I, I, I find and that there is, uh, there is, there are still shop diehards in the GOP, like Carrie Lake, and uh, we'd say Gene Vance is a snake, but he was like, was hinting at like a, uh, like a Trump endorsement. But uh, yeah, I think Trump is, uh, I would say he's a spent force, but he isn't going away anytime soon. Oh, god, no, I think, um, I think, and I can't even imagine how untethered you'd have to be as a, as a hardcore Trump follower. I mean, you've been told, like, for five years that you should die for Trump. He's the second coming of John the Baptist. And now you're being told by all these people that you, you look up to, hey, it's time to dump this guy. Like, how are you supposed to feel in that moment? 
Yeah, fucking Mr. Pizzagate was telling you that, like, Trump is Christ the Redeemer or uh, the deep states after him, they stole the election from him, and now it's just he has to go away now. He's, uh, he's like, rotten fruit. He's starting to sink the place up now. It's, it's, uh, it's, and, you know, the thing is, is that the, this is the fun part about if they go with DeSantis. Trump is, is not going to endorse him until, like, a real public, um, flogging. He's going to, uh, break this man, and it's going to be very fun to watch because, from what I can tell, DeSantis, despite being a little more, um, a Reagan-y type regular conservative is pretty fucking thin-skinned. I mean, he's not a... He doesn't have the, the real poster ability or the, the charisma of a Donald Trump, which I think will make for a lot of people... Yeah, he's a... DeSantis is just regular bog-standard Republican. Like, his views, his social views are just as repellent as everyone else's, but, like, when you, like, compare both of them, he just doesn't have the swag. And that's ultimately why Trump won. Like, it wasn't policies, it wasn't, it wasn't build the wall, but it was just, he was fucking, he was that guy from TV that everyone liked, apparently. Yeah, and I, um, and, you know, we're seeing a bit of that now. There's a lot of, uh, he did that wonderful, uh, uh, statement that he gave out where he was just going off and uh, we're gonna see at least a minimum two years of that I think he will eventually cave because he's a guy who will who will do anything you want if you pay him or give him something because his entire approach to politics is what do I get out of it so I think the GOP will eventually sweeten the deal and tell him to fuck off I think Trump's uh, pride will probably pamper the GOP for a uh a good while, at least how it comes to the next election. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like, Trump suddenly started trashing him in truth, social calling and all sorts of shit. And it's going to be interesting how, like, the GOP establishment still deals with that, like, that little turd, little crying on turds that is queuing on to, uh, that is still fucking very much there. I mean, but, uh, he, he... Yeah, Trump's not going away, going away anytime soon, I'd say. I think his pride is still very much attached to that role, but uh, we'll see. It's going to be funny, but... Uh, yeah, and I think I think QAnon will stick around because those are the only people who vehemently support Donald Trump anymore. So he does need to court that market to feed his, uh, his the machine that he has. And, um, you know, and we're... We'll, we'll see where that goes, but I, I don't. It'll be interesting to see if if he does like splinter and start a new party. I don't think he'll do that, but it is a fun theory at this point to speculate that he will just go full like fuck it. I'm going to start my own political party. Yeah, the uh, the midterms are anything to go by, and I do think Trump is is done. Like everyone is just expecting a red wave, and instead they have like they have like a Senate majority of two or something. Which is probably the worst possible outcome you could want, because you technically have power, but you can't really do anything. No. So, if any Republican thinks that like the base fucking uh, fascist uh, red wave is going to come and uh, save America from a global hobo, then they're uh, they're onto shit. So. It'll be fun. It. They have really no one else to blame but themselves, because the, some of the people we saw this year where we're genuinely just fucking insane 
Oh, a fucking Herschel Walker, which I am so fucking excited to see how that runoff goes. Oh my god. I kind of hope he wins, just because it would be such a fucking shit show. Yeah, the, so the uninitiated out there, Herschel Walker, as uh, a former uh, football star turned uh, agent provocateur. If you see any videos of him, he goes on long tangents about like how he's like a police officer or something. Like he is like he apparently has like a fucking like badge that makes him a cop, even though he doesn't really. It's just man. Like, have you ever seen that Will Smith movie where he's like a an African doctor? Oh, I... one people about the dangers of CTE. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, more people could have watched that. Yeah, no, I mean that's always the the unfortunate reality of being a football player is um, uh, if you unless you're like a quarterback, you're probably not going to live till fifty, and if you do, you're gonna get really fucking weird. I mean, there's so many of them. We're going to find out uh, when J OJ dies. Uh, we're going to find out he has, like, CTE up the ass. It's it's going to be a real awakening moment. Yeah, the the average shelf life of uh, American football stars is uh, shockingly brief. Like, you either die in your 40s or you wind up like Herschel Walker. This is jabbering Eddie. Everyone has to pretend to love and adore. But the fact that the GOP went to the bat for him just really shows how fucking desperate they are for for us anyone to fucking represent. His own son went on Twitter calling him a, a loser, which is, you know, because his son is an actual, like, red-blooded conservative. Like, an actual, not a crazy QAnon conservative, like a legit... Well, maybe he is crazy, but he is a... Uh, like, he stands by his guns. Like, he will... He and, you know, watching him publicly undress his father was was quite a spectacle to watch and we've talked about uh for a question before on here but uh his public fucking uh devastation of his dad was was pretty uh was pretty interesting because if you go on uh, walker's instagram it's mostly just like car rants about blue hair blood and then stagnation between that is like him going off in conservatives for fucking going to the bat for this, this, this dribbling father. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's tragic, I would argue, because, I mean, I'm sure that there is a lot of... He hates his father for very justifiable reasons, you know? And uh, it's a tragedy. It's a real tragedy that uh, this poor guy is uh, having to be the voice of reason <laughs> for an entire party. Yeah, you need, uh, you need at least one dissenting voice to, uh, to remind people that, hey, this... This guy isn't some, like, family values conservative. He's, like, he has, like, divorces up the ass. And he's, like, well-known for slapping around with his partners. So. In, in short, he's an NFL player. Like, yeah, they're not exactly... Yeah, yeah. They're not exactly uh, people to look up to. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so. But Speaking of uh, NFL superstars, uh, a certain Mr. Tom Brady and his wife, uh, just recently lost hundreds of millions of dollars and probably one of the most bizarre pyramid schemes in American history. Holy shit. FTX. <laughs> oh man, I... Oh, that was... You know what? We all saw it coming, but we didn't... Ex I didn't expect it to reach Bernie Madoff levels of, of pure fucking evil. Like... This is some super villain shit, what these people pulled. It's, it's almost... It's awe-inspiring. Yeah, I, I saw that uh, Tom Brady advert yesterday with his, uh, him and his wife were phoning up all his friends, telling them to, 
to get into the snot Ponzi scheme. And that was like, that was played to millions of American households. Just this fucking, like, just this obvious Madoff Ponzi scheme. Oh man, it's, um, it's, it's something, it's another great example of like how the crypto boom was always doomed to blow up like this because the, the problem with crypto for me anyway is that there it, it doesn't exist it's not like oil or water where it's tangibly there hell even money is tangibly there crypto is a fictional currency you may as well be buying fucking skins in a video game it's the same kind of thing yeah it's, it's funny watching libertarians go from the gold standard to crypto which is like say whatever you want about gold but at least that's like that has a practical use, whereas crypto is literally just like, it literally is like, the way they describe fiat currency, like it's basically just numbers on the computer, is crypto. Like it's literally this intangible thing that like, varies in value depending on how the fucking Winkle Voss twins feel that there. It's, uh, yeah, and it's, um, and it's, it's quite funny because we're, we're seeing this happen over and over again, though, with these, these internet-based money things. We had NFTs that bombed horribly. Twitter is, uh, a fucking dumpster fire right now. It makes sense to go down for and take over of, uh, of Twitter. Like, it's just, like, it's probably not going to be here by the end of the year. There's this fucking multi-billion dollar social media site that, like, Everyone in the dog is using for this decades on end is just is tanked. I, I do I will say this, there were some absolutely incredible uh fake tweets that came out. We had the the banger of uh J uh, George W. Bush saying, God, I miss killing Iraqis and then he got quote tweeted by Tony Blair saying, Yeah, I do too. <laughs> uh yeah, fucking like the whole verified thing was already fucked, but now it's it's somehow worse. Like, he somehow managed to make fucking, like, the whole blue tick mark, like, like, to, in order to be, like, verified previously, you had to go through, like, some very rigorous checks, but now just any asshole can get a fucking blue check for $8, and yeah. now, like, the whole Eli Valley thing, <sighs> where, like, this, the <laughs> for the American, um, healthcare industry, it's like, they're, fucking tank got stuck, uh, their, uh, stock got tanked because somebody made a fake Twitter of them and, like, said that insulin was free. I, I do love that we are seeing some great, like, little, like, it is, you know, armchair activism doesn't always work, but this is a great example of it working because we had that, we had Lockheed Martin losing billions of dollars. My favorite was someone made a fake, uh, Chiquita Banana account and tweeted, just to clarify, we haven't <laughs> funded a coup since 1954. Which led to, like, all of these Zoomers learning about the, the Guatemalan coup and how this fucking banana company has a surprisingly very bloody history. Yeah, that's, uh, if, you, if you're looking for uh, something interesting to read, look at the uh, Conchita Bananas, uh, let's just say, the influence over Latin America during the uh, 70s and 80s. It's, yeah. It's not one of America's best moments, I'd say. I, I think it's one of the more... It's it's kind of amazing that, like, a banana company led to one of the bloodiest coups of the 50s. That's, But it's also, like, yeah, America will destroy an entire country just to get a monopoly on fucking fruit. That's it's quite, uh... It's quite interesting. Yeah, you have, uh... 
fucking Dwight Eisenhower to thank for that Mr. Uh, anti-military industrial complex <laughs> to, uh, to thank for uh, quite a few of those uh, quite a few of those coups in the 1950s yep. like, everything from the war in Korea to fucking uh, like, not like Korea but Vietnam to fucking like like this almost apocalyptic showdown with the USSR you can thank uh, you can thank Mr. Eisenhower for yep. that I like Ike we all love Ike until he uh, starts a war in Vietnam. His uh, very last speech before his, uh, his grand eight years in office, he's railing against the military and industrial complex. How everyone should be vigilant of this uh, of this rising tide of the of military companies. Meanwhile, he's fucking like he's laying the groundwork for Vietnam, uh, increasing nuclear stockpiles, basically making the world a a very unsafe place to live in, like, uh, man. It's uh, it's, it's, it's like fucking Reagan talking about the war on drugs of his uh, of his fucking Manuel Noriega, fucking JFK as his uh, as he's talking about smashing the CIA into a million pieces. He's letting them fucking fly uh, fucking throw plague bombs at Cuba. Just, just the American deep state is one of the worst, like. It's like super talked about, but also not really. It's um, it's shocking how incompetent they can be sometimes. They're they are they do these brilliant plans that work perfectly, and then they have another time where um, just everything falls apart. <laughs> like the Bay of Pigs was one of the great examples of like, oh fuck, this didn't go well at all. It's uh, retroactively blame JFK for not sending air support for the entire operation was pretty much doomed from the start yeah. and just like nobody wanted to fess up to it and that is just a history of fucking US uh, nah, security and everything yeah. else. I'm listening to a blowback just now and it's genuinely shocking how the American deep state like almost let Douglas MacArthur blow up half the world. <laughs> Oh, he, he would have done it, too. If they had given him the green light, he would have fucking done it. No question. Yeah. Not sure none of us would be here if that was allowed to happen, but, you know, he's lost, I suppose. I'm asking you simply to look around and see the tragedy. What is the tragedy? The tragedy is there are no more human beings. There are only strange machines colliding into each other. And this tragedy starts with the universal, compulsory, averted system of education that shapes all of us from the so-called ruling class right down to the poor. It pushes us towards the arena of having things, everything, at any cost. That's why we all want the same things and behave in the same way. So, if I have access to a political committee or inside stock information, I use that. Or... I use a crowbar. And when I use that crowbar, I work my violence so I can get what I want. Why do I want it? Because they have told me it's a virtue to want it. I'm expressing my right, my virtue. I'm an assassin and a good man. But now, people don't stop short of murder. In this changing landscape, there's a death wish that binds us together like brothers, all caught up and the sinister failure of an entire social system that produces a race of gladiators that are trained to have, possess, and destroy. Speaking of the uh, course of deep state, we'll be talking about uh, 
Abel Ferrara's Pass Away Today, which is a, a film I believe you've watched for the first time. Yes, I I had seen it for the first time recently, and I was uh, I didn't really know what to expect when I saw it because it was um, it was a movie that uh, you know it's it's Abel Ferreira directing a movie about Pierre Pasolini, which is uh, two directors you would never think would ever intersect because um, Ferreira has such an interesting history as as a filmmaker because when he started his career he was best known for exploitation movies you know films like driller killer uh, miss 45 king of new york movies you would go see on like a double bill with naked vengeance or the exterminator real crass shit like that <laughs> yeah stuff like brad Bird's head and where uh harvey Keitel is running around with his uh cock out it just uh you don't really see him uh crossing paths with Pasolini. But, uh, Bad Lieutenant's actually really interesting because it is the kind of the intersection between Ferreira's jump from exploitation into art house cinema because it is the bridging of those two worlds because right after that he does um, he does the, the his remake of Body Snatchers, his only studio film uh, that did, uh, did not go well uh, from what I've read and uh, you know he he waffles around for a while. He does a vampire movie. He does The Funeral, which is this really weird gangster drama. I haven't seen a lot of uh, Ferreira's movies. Most of it is, uh, is the, uh, the video Nazis from the 70s, like Jello Killer and, um, and Bad Lieutenant. But it is interesting how it's, uh, how if anyone to make a Passover documentary, it is him. And um, it's probably one of his better films. Like, uh, I had seen this before, and the same for you, I didn't really know what to expect from it. But uh, Ferreira is very, very good at character pieces, at, at conveying to an audience who might not really know who the character is. Like, um, when I first saw this, it was about 2000, like, 2019, I'd say, and I didn't really know much about Pasolini, but after watching it, I... I got a, a much greater sense of who the man was. And it does help that Morgan Defoe is there to, uh, to portray him. Uh, the, the thing, the, the movie that this kept making me think of was um, Mishima, the Paul Schrader film. Because it, it's structured in a very similar way in that it's less about telling you his life from A to B. And more about giving you an idea of his beliefs and who he was as a person and... You know how he interacted with the world around him. It, it, it's and it's very yeah, it's very similar to to that. Uh, if I were to compare this movie, because it's it's structurally not your average like biopic. No, no, there's no uh, there's no flashbacks to when he was a kid in fascist Italy. It's purely just the last week of Pasolini's life, and uh, even though it is such a short time frame, you get a real sense of what this man believes in and probably why he died the way he did yeah and that that is something and that's another thing about that uh, the film that i found really effective is how we know how the film's going to end and ferrera is knows that the viewer knows how it's going to end so there's a real palpable sense of dread that just hangs over the entire film there's that amazing scene where he's giving the interview in english and he tells the interviewer let me be frank with you i've been to hell uh, yeah, you get this. Uh, you get this real sense that Pasolini is. He is fighting with forces. 
are very much outside of his control. Like he's he only has one of those rare directors to stand up to the system that he finds himself in. Like everyone talks about the whole red scare in Hollywood and people like Trumbull had to stand up to McCarthy, but Pasolini really like he really took a stance against the fucking Italian government, which is which is basically uh, we talked about this last time, but it was basically comprised of ex fascists, thanks to Gradio and the P two Masonic Lodge. Yep. Uh, it's also funny because he also was very um, he he didn't just go after the government; he went after organized religion. The entire point of the Gospel according to Saint Matthew is making the most offensive film about the church possible at the time. And that made it even more funny considering the Vatican, it's like, it's a film preserved by the Vatican. They they consider it one of the greatest movies about Christianity ever made. Yeah, the Vatican has a, a very weird history around films. Like, they'll canonize that, but they'll find stuff like Life of Brian Blasphemous. Oh, uh, the... the... It's, uh, it's very the weird, but they consider... Uh, yeah, the Last Temptation of Christ is the most famous example. You can't show Christ as well. Yeah. yeah, you can't show Jesus fucking. How dare you burn this theater down? And uh, again, the way Willem Dafoe plays Jesus and that you, I would like to talk about that movie at some point. But the way Dafoe portrays Jesus, he just comes across as a crazy person. So yeah, and it, it helps that again, Martin uh, Scorsese when he made that is a very I don't know if he's still Catholic, but he's, he clearly grew up in a Catholic household. So that movie, sort of him dealing with the his own, basically just making his own manifesto of what he thinks uh, religion is about and things like that. We'll get into it one day because it's a it's a fascinating um, little piece of a movie. I would like to at some point because uh, there's there's two main ways you can portray Jesus. Uh, there's the Mel Gibson way. Which is fire and brimstone via uh, fucking uh, the Passion of the Christ, which we've uh, <laughs> we've already talked about, and there's the uh, the Scorsese way, which is uh, which is I'm still Catholic, but I'm also still kind of on the fence about that. Yeah, and this this film in particular has a uh, Pasolini. Going back to that, there is sort of an interesting sort of wrestling with uh, Pasolini uh, where he stands in history because there is a lot of um, there's a lot of um, like there is these these great scenes where the they ask him what do you consider yourself are you a poet are you a writer a director and he says on my passport I just put writer that's all I am like I like sort of because the way that he has been canonized in Italian culture is is so interesting considering that he never really viewed himself as anything more but a um, a man who just spoke his mind. Pasolini was, uh, I, I would say he was a writer first and foremost. Like he is an iconic director, but his real passion was writing. Like some of uh, several of his uh, of his um, articles are, are available to read, and he is like he. Is very committed to like a specific Italian brand of communism, like Gramsciism. The film is very, very overt in in what he believed. Like he was a full 
communist. This wasn't like internet communists where it's like you know we're we're trying to be hip. Like no. he firmly believed in in the in the teachings of Marx. And you can understand why because still even during the nineteen seventies, like the years of lead are starting to wind down. But there is a sense that communism as a force is. It's been politically defeated, but not really socially defeated. Like, there is a sense that there is, that communism hasn't quite been suppressed the way that, say, the Vatican or the Mafia would really like it to be. Yeah, and that, that, um, that comes yeah, up. I tend to forget that, like. <laughs> that comes up very, very clearly in the fucking movie. When we, we'll get, like, we'll have to give the ending, the ending of this movie, I may as well. Like we'll we'll get into it in more detail in a little bit, but it is, it says so much by saying almost nothing. It really does. Yeah, Ferreira doesn't overtly say anything, but it's hard to watch that ending and not think that something else is going on here. Oh fuck! Like, the entire movie. It's a very short movie. Yeah. Which I found quite surprising. Yeah. Most movies now are like fucking two and a half hours, but. It's only 80, I think the version I saw was only 80, it was only 84 minutes, I think. It, it's a short film, considering, because the yeah, subject matter, and I, I think it used, but it's also a great example of, like, Ferreira is a very, like, no-nonsense director. He, he you know, his he's very much a all-red-meat kind of guy, you know, his, his time and exploitation will show you that, so it, it makes sense for him to not drag this out as long as he needs to. He, he does what he needs to do and he gets out. Yeah, he's very good at, uh, at combining, as you said, the red meat with a good character. Like, one of my favourite uh, scenes is he's uh, round the table with his mother and friends, and they're just talking about, oh, what is, uh, what is Piero going to do next? And he's hinting about uh, his possible next movie. And you see throughout what could have been weird scenes of, like, what Pasolini's next movie could have possibly looked like. Yeah, that that's something that I find, um, I talked about this in the last episode, but that's something that really struck me, was, because um, there it is, uh, we don't really know what it would have been, but Ferreira does his best to sort of, because this was going to be part two of the trilogy of death, which never happened, so I could imagine it would be like, a, there is a title for it, I think, we don't really know, but it is it is a fun little sequence to think what could have been. Yeah, it's one of the uh, the great what-ifs of cinema history, if he was allowed to finish that off. But uh, the scenes you do see are very... are very esoteric. Like, it, like the first scene of it is, like, a guy's being sucked off, and then it goes on to scenes about how, like, the second messiah is coming, and everyone needs to get ready for him. Yep, yep, a lot of sex. And that's the thing that got me, was how... Uh... The way it's structured is very, uh, the film itself is very interesting because we start the movie with an interview with Pasolini and then hard cut to a guy getting sucked off in an alleyway. You're like, whoa, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, it took me a while to get into the rhythm of the movie because it is, it's less a, it's more of a tone poem. That was my takeaway from how it's structured. It really is more a tribute than it is a... Like, cause, cause I don't know if, if, if you watch this movie not knowing anything about who Pasolini was and his worldview, you'd be a little confused. You'd be like, okay, like who, who is this guy? Why is he important? 
Because Ferrer is more interested in like like really preaching to the choir with this movie, I think. I don't really know what Ferrer's overall political views are, but it is very interesting how he how he deals with that. Um, yeah, we should probably again so it's the uh, not the final moment of the movie, but the sort of grand finale is is the death of Pasolini. Yeah. In Vinny And one of the things about that scene that I loved was, I had to look into this, because um, you know, the story goes he picked up a 17-year-old and um, one thing led to another and then he died. But And one thing I loved about that scene was how uh, uh, Defoe is speaking Italian and the teenager is speaking Rome, uh, which, which kind of creates this interesting language barrier between the two. Because no one really, like, the, the uncertainty as they're in the car, they're like, um, so, uh, what's happening? People tend to forget that, like, like, there isn't just Italian in Italy. Like, Italy is one of the most ethnically diverse countries on Earth. So when, like, I've never been there, but I, I know people that have, and they say that, like, the amount of just different accents you hear there are is very striking that's one of the more interesting things about this movie is that there it's it's not just in english it's in a lot of different languages and it is so fascinating to see a uh, american born director understand that there are different languages in other countries like that like like you know italy italian is not just the only language in italy and that it's, and it's interesting because uh, the way the murder is done in this film is so chilling because it's, it's lit very poorly. You don't really see much. There's a lot of handheld, lots of, um, you don't really know what's happening. I think that's completely intentional because the details of his murder are very um, murky at best. So why not shoot it like that? Yeah, so the, uh, the official story of Pasolini's death at the time was that one night he apparently gets bored, decides to pick up a 17-year-old boy. They drive to the middle of nowhere and for some reason something goes wrong and he winds up dead in a very, very horrific manner. Um, that story is, of course, uh, not very credible and I think the official story now is that it was a targeted hate crime, like the boy he picked up recognized him because of course Pasolini like everyone in the dog knew who he was and he was very open about his sexuality obviously so the I suppose the official story now is that it's like this was the targeted hate crime which again makes zero fucking sense and the way uh, Ferreira portrays his death uh, in this movie you get the sense that there is something going on something more going on here he doesn't like delve into conspiracy theories but you get the sense that there is like something going on behind the scenes here like the official story is clearly just bullshit yeah i know that was my takeaway and the 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 the, the way that 
the guy's yelling um, all these uh, gay slurs at him. He's like, yeah, cut your dick off. Um, you know, a horrible word that I won't say because I want to be able to upload this. But uh, he gets pretty, uh, the kid beating him gets pretty overt about uh, how he views Pasolini as a, as a gay man with some pretty fucking brutal language. Yeah, I kind of think if you're one of those people that otherwise didn't know Pasolini was gay, it'd be kind of like your grandma finding out that Lubin actually is gay, just going into complete shock. I think I think it's funny that like people would ever think the gospel according the guy who made a movie like the gospel according to Saint Matthew they'd be like oh my god he's gay shocking but uh, I really want to get into the um, the scene after the murder which is uh, I think where the film is uh, really really becomes a little pre uh, as overt as it's ever gonna get there. yeah I've got this uh, Bernstein Bears thing with the movie where because I hadn't seen it for a while I just assumed that the movie ended after Pasolini gets killed, so like the car gets fucking driven over his head. I keep forgetting that there is like another five minutes where you get the uh, the conclusion of the film that could have been and like Pasolini's mum finding out he's he had just he'd been killed and it's it's genuinely pretty uh pretty hurting. Yeah, no and um there's so much fucked up shit in that that last that last ten minutes because there's this amazing shot where you see these two guys are walking upstairs and it's like the 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 outside is completely white it's like they're walking into heaven almost and they're just talking about and then everyone kind of comes together in this little quarry of these men we've never seen these men before and they kind of all nod at each other in agreement and then we cut to the the them realizing he's dead and that's the end of the movie is that the the complete lack of like you as a viewer you're like who are these people why are they all meeting each other with each other right after this murder and it, it is very vague and it's not fully explained and that makes it like you can interpret that any way you want which which makes for a very effective ending i think yeah i see uh ultimately why the movie works for me as because the ending Ferreira deliberately leaves it vague. Like, I know uh, you and I, and I watched this with a friend of mine, and we've all seemed to come away with this idea that there is something going on there. But I can imagine if you're watching this and you don't really know that much about Passolini, you can just take the ending at face value. So... The level of cloak and dagger in those last couple sh those last couple scenes are, are are palpable. It's 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 intense. It's very, and it is it is interesting because you know knowing the history of Italy at this point when he was killed, it is very possible that these are uh, people high up in politics or high up in religion or things like that. And yeah, the, Ferrera does not explain who these men are, and I think that's the best way to do a scene like that. Yeah, so in 1975, the years of lead were starting to sort of wind down. Uh, we had talked about it before, but it was it was really at its peak in the 60s. But as time went on, as the Cold War sort of continues, it's this trudge along the various fascist elements, thanks to the CIA and the Peter Masonic Lodge, had really pretty much taken over the country at that point it was mission accomplished thanks to you know guys like fucking like Silvio Berlusconi who we've uh, 
who we talked about uh, the last time has his grand rise to power for him at this point. But there was still uh, quite a few uh, assassinations going on at this point. Uh, Pasolini himself, Aldo Moro, the former Prime Minister of LA gets fucking gunned down by a bunch of neo-Nazis. So there's still a lot of very fucked up shit going on and yeah, I would love to do an episode just about the years of lead because it really is one of those moments where you think that like, yeah, the, the bad guys won this one. Which is why I love that ending because you, you as a viewer come to the conclusion, yeah, why wouldn't they kill this guy? He's if you're this open about what you think we are or your politics, you're like, yeah, we, we're going to kill you. That's just how, you know, this happens all the time. This happens not just in Italy. This happens in America all the time when uh, opposition comes out and they mysteriously get shot and killed. And no one really, like, like a great example was like Malcolm X or Fred Hampton. It's like, hmm, wonder why they got killed, you know? Yeah, we've, we've talked about it before, but it is wild how more people just don't see the assassinations of people like Malcolm X and uh, MLK as as what they are, which are very clearly government-sanctioned hit jobs. Like, you don't make the type of statements that Malcolm X or Pasolini make without making uh, quite a few enemies in the, uh, the various deep states. Yeah, so this is a... Uh, one of the great tragedies of not only cinema but history in general, which I suppose is part of the course. Like if you're a left-wing radical, you either die in a political assassination or you become some some like Democrat supporting the old fart like Chomsky. But um, yeah, I feel pretty bad after watching this movie because it's fucking horrific. But I'm glad we we talked about it. I do think that uh, it, it, you know, and it's this film is a great um, sort of companion piece to Pasolini's body of work because it is made by someone who really understands Pasolini as uh, who he was as a person and um, his, his body of work, as well as really letting the viewer know, yeah, there was some shit that went on here. Like that's kind of what I love about Ferrera. It's never he never goes the easy route. He always challenges the viewer. Yeah, I know his next movie is uh, a biopic on uh, Padre Pio, which is the uh, who is the uh, like iconic uh, Spanish priest that every like old Catholic grandma has a portrait of in their house. Uh, but it's starring Shia LaBeouf for some reason, who uh, I don't know if he's a Catholic or not, but I can't really imagine what uh, what propelled Ferreira to cast. Um, cast Shia in that, uh, that role. Yeah, that, 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 um, we'll see about that, but I think a little, uh, weirded out that, uh, he would cast Shia LaBeouf after, um, all of that thing happened, but, um, I mean, Ferreira, that's the thing about Ferreira, he doesn't play by any rule book, so that's what makes him interesting. Yeah, he's at that point in his career where he will really kind of make whatever the fuck he wants. I still be meaning to watch that, uh, Ethan Hawke Die Hard of the Vatican movie. I've heard that is one of those like it, it's a weird movie in a way that like because it was filmed during covid and it's very art artsy and there's a lot of like i could tell from the trailer there are shots that are out of focus and i have no idea if it's intentional or not 
Yeah, so join us next time where uh, hopefully we'll be talking about something more cheerful. I know uh, Christmas is coming up, so we'll probably fart out something related to that. I know my um, local uh, independent theatre is hosting a, a showing of Eyes Wide Shut, because that's technically a Christmas movie, so I'd uh, really like to do that at some point. Uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a fun Christmas full of uh, uh, weird backdoor conspiracies, um, orgies, and Tom Cruise having the worst marriage ever.